So I am not picking on Russ Lycan at all. This is a play on words from his series in Jude. I wanted to talk about continuing for the faith. But I kept coming back to Romans in a passage that I had quickly preached through this summer as we went through Romans. It's in Romans 12. And then it's parallel passages. So we're just going to jump in. Romans 12, verse 4 and 5. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. In Ephesians, Paul's writing to a different group of Christians, but he writes something very similar in Ephesians 4 as he does in Romans 12. These are the closing verses of that section from verse 15 and 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. But the biggest section where he talks about the body and this illustration in scripture of what church is, is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It really goes beyond 12. That's where he uses the imagery, but it's chapters 11 through 14 where he's addressing a very local church, and he goes into as an explanation of what they are living through as a church, the body. I'm going to pick a couple verses from that, but if you would like to read it this afternoon, it's 1 Corinthians 12, really starts at verse 1, and it goes all the way to what we would typically stop at, at the end of chapter 12 at verse 31, I believe it is. But Paul doesn't stop. This is where it's very important to remember that chapters and verses are added for our benefit for Sunday school classes and moving around a big book, but they're not original to his letter. When Paul was writing the church in Corinth, he didn't pause and put numbers to help them flip around. He had them read it straight through. And I'm sure they picked it apart afterwards. But chapter 12 rolls into chapter 13. But that body illustration in scripture, as, as I mentioned in the middle of the summer or earlier in the summer, in August sometime, it tells us something about who we are that we are all intricately connected and that we need to be connected. Now, maybe we don't always work right. In fact, we're often like that uncoordinated junior high body that's fueled by Mountain Dew and hot Cheetos while it's going through a growth spurt and has the genius idea to try to learn to water ski. It's going to be a spectacular disaster that hopefully somebody's filming because it's going to be entertaining but it's not always going to work right. But when they get it, and some of you parents have been in that moment, it's beautiful. When it all comes together, it's amazing. Unless, of course, that Mountain Dew and Hot Cheetos concoction revisits itself later on, and that's a separate moment. But when your kid's skiing behind you, or behind that boat, or you're on the shore, and you see their body come together, it's a beautiful thing. It's also, that's my friend, he water skis. 
It also is a good reminder, as those of you who've wiped out before, that body parts are not supposed to detach, and it's very uncomfortable when you catastrophically explode into the water, thankful that it's water, but wondering if it actually still was when you impacted it. But that body picture is also supposed to be a reminder that there are no detached nor detachable body parts in the Church of Christ. There's nobody that's insignificant. There's nobody that doesn't play a role. There's nobody that it doesn't matter if they showed up today. All of us matter. And all of us ought to be connected. This isn't a universal church concept. It certainly is speaking of that, but that's not what Paul's addressing when he talks in those three passages. He's talking very connected and locally and personally. Imagine for a minute your teeth having an alternate plans for a better holiday menu than whatever you have on your calendar. That would be an awkward moment. It would make it difficult to enjoy snack-sized candy bars in hundreds. You should limit to one or two, but in the hundreds during Halloween in October or a Thanksgiving meal or in our family Christmas breakfast. If your teeth just said, you know what? I've seen your plans. I've got some better ones. I'm out of here. I'll come back in January. Your body would struggle. And that's the picture that Paul is talking about. But the other part of what he says is that you're all gifted. Every one of us, if we have put our faith in Christ, is uniquely gifted to serve that body in some way, shape, or form, whether it's formal or informal. We all serve a role. And if you're a high school student or a seminarian and you're hanging out with your friends, it's tempting to think about who fills the role of the appendix Although, as many people have learned, it has a very important role, and if it's uncomfortable, it's going to let you know. But the better thing to think through is just what part can I play? Again, formally or informally, there are times we need to step into a formal role. There are other times it just happens very organically in the hallways and on social media when tech is used as a valuable tool to connect with other believers particularly those in our church, in our family, and part of our body. You are gifted to serve. So go be a blessing for the sake of others. But do it particularly through, again, formally or informally, I don't even care right now, but do it particularly through your local church body. That's the context of what Paul's talking about that that body matters. That's his focus, that we're connected and gifted. But he also throws out a couple other verses in 1 Corinthians that I think, well, they caught my attention. They often catch my attention, but they caught my attention. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 24, I'm going to pick up partway through. I might even skip a little bit in verse 25. I might not. I might just read it through, but I'm skipping the first part at least. But God has so composed the body giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. There's a big issue, if you know Corinth, there's a big issue of division. It's actually the whole book. And it goes even beyond what we have, most likely. There are letters going back and forth between Paul and Corinth, and we only have two. 
We call them First and Second Corinthians. First Corinthians is more likely Second Corinthians, and Second Corinthians is probably Fourth Corinthians. But they're the two we have, hence one and two. There's more, more going on, but their church is fighting over leaders, and they're divided and everything else. But the part of this verse I want you to catch is the connected part. Yes, that goes to division, but the connected part at the end, that the members may have the same care for one another. In that connection, we take care of each other. Again, go back to my illustration. We may be hopped up on Mountain Dew and hot Takis, mixing up hot Cheetos and Takis. I hate them both. You all can enjoy them. You may have mine, but... We do it stilted, and we mess it up, and we get it wrong, and we miss it. But the reality is we are called to care for each other. And that doesn't happen only here, and it doesn't even necessarily happen best right here. The feeding of, the, of God's word is very important. It's a command. We're supposed to preach the word. But that caring for each other happens when we say amen at the end of the service, and you all stand up and interact with each other. And it's what happens out in the hallways. And it's what happens over coffee in the corner there and wherever else you drink your coffee. Uh, you can have my coffee too, I don't like that. I'm just giving you everything today. You can have all the, the food that you like and I don't. And it happens in Sunday school classes. And it happens in small groups and it happens over a one a book time and it happens in the library, and it happens in the parking lot, and it happens when we, during the week, reconnect with each other, again, in formal and informal ways, and we find out somebody has a need, and we know that we have the ability to meet that need, and we do, not under the compulsion or a guilt trip, but out of love and connection, when we're able to. Shameless when we're not able to. I can't meet that need. There's nothing I can do with that. I will pray for you, but I, I, it's out of my control. But when I have the need, we see this in Acts. And because I love you, I step up. And so we care for one another. That's what church is. It's not all that church is, but it is what church is. Because it's a body. And by the way, the, the early church, they had to be told that too. They didn't just get it. We always look at the early church and think they had no problems. If you've read the Bible, you know they had problems. And so Paul three times has to tell them, you're supposed to be like a body. Which probably means they weren't doing it very well. At least not perfectly. They had to be reminded that they care for one another. It's the hallways and the pews and it's serving together. Don't devalue serving together to become connected to somebody in Sunday school. I want to highlight a couple things that have happened in Tuesday night the last couple weeks for small group time. That's when, by the way, as youth pastor, I get out of the way. Actually, I only mildly get out of the way. I open all the doors. I say hello. I bug them, and they kick me out of their room. But I see amazing things when that happens. A couple weeks ago, a friend of mine visited, and he was speaking to the group. I was in an elder meeting at the time. Uh, he does some youth ministry support stuff in the area. And he was visiting, and our guy's small group, after hearing his story, asked him to join them for the small group time and then spent time praying for him. These are high school boys that don't know him. They just heard him speak. That's not normal for a high school boy to do, by the way. That's God moving in their heart. It's them being the body. 
We have somebody joining us. And the most powerful thing that we can do is pray. We call out to the God of all power and say, Lord, you come and help. Because I'm just a sheep. I'm just a part of the body. But you're the head and you're my protector. That was one moment. Another one was this last Tuesday and it was our girls, all of them. For a number of reasons, we only had one of our girl staff that was able to join us that night, so she got all of the girls. And I poked my head in, and she'd had them all in little subgroups in the room praying for each other. That's the body. But you got to show up and get connected to benefit from it. For somebody to notice you're gone this week, they have to have noticed that you were there previous week. You got to get connected. And it's all of those ways. It's instead of just rushing out hallways, it's pausing. Instead of just asking a question, how you doing, which is okay to ask, by the way, and it's okay to just say, I'm fine. But in moments, to mean more in that question and to respond with more in that moment when you aren't fine especially if it's a close relationship that you've built. This all takes time, by the way. I've said this before from the pulpit, but it's, you might not have been there. It's probably been a long time. The church does not owe you best friends. That is a different kind of relationship. It does owe you body connection if you're connected. But you got to do the work to get connected too. But that first part in 25, we're supposed to care for one another. And then he continues in 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. See, in that connection, when one of us is hurting, then we all need to rush to that point of hurt. And we care particularly in the moments when we're all hurting. And life throws a lot of them at us. We know that. But Paul had to remind Corinth. And it's easy and fun to focus on that rejoicing together moment. But it's that first part that connects us the most. When you see somebody that you know their story. And you come alongside and you help carry them. Those are powerful moments if you've ever experienced one. And we as the church are called to those moments. That's when the body excels. In fact, that's when the body is noticed by other people on the outside and they go, I don't know about the wacky stuff they believe, but I want in on that connection thing. So I'll start showing up. And then they encounter this amazing savior that we celebrate. If one suffers, we all suffer. Let that sit for a minute. When one suffers, here's what we're called to. We come in and we rescue and we restore as best we're able to. Again, we do it imperfectly. We are not our Savior. He is. But as the body, that's our intent, is to rescue and then restore. The other reality is sometimes the whole body is suffering. And just like our body in that moment, we rest and we refuel on God's word and his power, and then we restore. 
because we're a body. It's not just a bunch of individual people that all pick the same place to show up. It's connected and gifted people that care for each other. But he's not done. Like I said, Paul doesn't stop. We stop. Because on our YouVersion app, which I highly recommend, it says chapter 13 is for tomorrow. And all I have to read is chapter 12 today. And so I get the body part in chapter 12 one day, and then the next day, when I forget what it's connected to, I read chapter 13. But that's not how Paul goes. Because at the end of this section, verse 31, the back half of the verse, he says this, and I will show you a still more excellent way the still more excellent way of this connected body living than giftedness and different specialties, the division and everything, everything else that he's been addressing them. He says, I have a better way to live body life than division and which gift matters most, which is a ridiculous argument. Parents, you know how you'd react if your kids started fighting over that at Christmas time. Let me take them all back then. That would be my first temptation. Fine, you can have the box, I'll get the toys. But he says, let me show you a more excellent way. And he continues to chapter 13. He's not drifting over to wedding territory. He isn't just telling you something to post in your house because it's great family rules, although that's certainly true and this certainly does work for weddings. But he starts at the beginning, 13, 1 through 3. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I, I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. He's addressing their division. He's addressing those gifts. You have them, but don't fight over them. You could be the most gifted person in the world, but if you are unloving, nobody cares about your gift. Nobody can hear it. I've done this before. It was during COVID in the parking lot. Uh, I think it was Sunday morning of kickback weekend, to be honest, if I remember right. Um, and I, with the students, I will often bring out a symbol when I'm reading those verses. And I'll just start beating it as hard as I can. It is for our drummer's sake that I'm not doing that today because it broke her heart. It also broke the symbol last time I did that, if I remember. But I, I grabbed an old symbol that was very intentional, and it surprised me. It was the first time I've broken one. But do that in your head anytime you read this verse because that's exactly what Paul's putting before you. You can't hear the verse anymore, and that makes the point. You are gifted but you've got to use that gift in a loving way. Speak truth. We stand on truth as Christians, but we never do it apart from love or we are being unchristian. That's what Paul says. And then again, he goes not to a wedding passage, but body life passage. This is church relationships, and this is local church, and this is messy local church relationship. If you understand Corinth, if you don't, go read it. They're messy. They're as messy as you can get. 
But to them, after talking about the body, he says, this is the more excellent way. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. It is a great wedding passage, but it is not a wedding passage. It's a church passage. Here's the thing, though. I've never been that in my life. Not to that extent. I've known that my whole life. But when I read that, I read a list of things I can't live up to perfectly because it's Jesus. He's the only one that does that perfectly. And yet, through the Holy Spirit, Paul's not saying only Jesus. He's saying, James, no, you haven't done it perfectly in your life. But through the Spirit, I'm trying to grow you more and more to do that better each day. And next Sunday, hopefully, you do it better than last Sunday. And when you're most exhausted this next time, better than you're most exhausted that last time. And even when you don't, I pick you up and take you back to it. It's still the standard. But he's not done yet. So let me pick up it four again. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And then jumping to the end at 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. He has not ignored truth. He mentioned it if you heard it in there, by the way. But it shouldn't shock us that Paul, that God, through Paul writing, upholds love and grace without abandoning truth. But he elevates love and grace. That's the heart of who our God is. And so Paul is telling this body in Corinth, this messy, wonderful, broken body, this is how you love each other. Christ-likeness. Starting with love and grace without failing on standing on truth, but always engaging with each other as best you are able to in Christ-likeness. And that able to comes with the power of the Holy Spirit. So you're able to be more than you realize. Because the Holy Spirit is working in you if you've put your faith in him. I've been at Grace 25 years and this sometimes bruised but always beautiful body of believers living out in a broken world is a wonderful place to be. Sometimes difficult. We don't do it perfectly. It's always precious. If this is your first Sunday with us or you're new or your first couple Sundays, I invite you to join us on the journey as we follow Christ. We follow a Savior that loves that perfectly. 
And we're doing our best to live by the Spirit in loving each other and the world around us. The Grace family, keep walking with us as we live out God's word in community. We love you. And we're a body. And that doesn't mean that we don't speak truth. It doesn't mean that we don't address concerns. But it's how we go about it. Back to Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. Love brings grace when it's able to. I can let that go because I can bring grace to it. God has forgiven it. I don't have to deal with it. There are some moments in life that's all that's needed. I'll forgive. They might not even know, but I'll forgive. They might not even know they hurt me, but I can bring grace to it. In other moments, I'll ask for grace when it's needed, either because I know I offended you or because you offended me, and I can't just let it go. We've got to address it. I've got to ask you to seek forgiveness. I'm bringing grace to it, but I need to re- you to recognize that this moment happened. And then there are a third set of moments where we infuse grace into a conflict, but always with the hope of reconciliation. That's what we see in scripture. But it's grace upon grace upon grace, because God shows us grace upon grace upon grace. And he never runs out of it. So even when we address things in truth, it is always in a loving, caring way and not in a clinging, symbol way. Because we are the body and also, by the way, the bride of Christ. And we are an amazing, albeit messy, spiritual family. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for these people at Grace. I thank you for this church body. I thank you, too, for the universal church brothers and sisters throughout Christ, or throughout the world and throughout time, following Christ. So I thank you for those we encounter each week in these hallways. Lord, help us evermore to have loving interactions that are pleasing to you and show care for each other. And Lord, for the times we fail... Keep us from doing so flippantly, but help us to bring grace to those moments. Since we've been forgiven by you, to be quick to forgive others as we stand on your word, living holy lives that please you. Lord, we thank you for your grace. Amen.